Well, welcome everyone. Merry Christmas. And I want to give a big Merry Christmas to those who are online with us as well. We're thrilled to have you with us today. I'm thinking back to a year ago when we weren't able to be in a building together. Uh, we were outside. If you maybe some of you were here last year and you remember that. It was, it was cold, but we had an incredible time together celebrating the birth of our Savior. But it's so good to be back indoors and uh, not dealing with the elements. So uh, it's good to be here. And thinking back to a year ago... A lot of us were outside, but, but uh, some were still online watching, and so we created an online service, or put together an online service, and so uh, you saw our elders here with some of their kids uh, lead us through Advent, uh, through, the, through the lighting of the candles and the readings, uh, but last year we had some of our staff kids involved in the online service. Some of you guys remember that, and uh, trying to get a whole bunch of little kids to do something on camera can be, can be challenging, right? You can imagine that. And so what we thought we'd do is throw up on the screen here uh, a little blooper reel from last year of our kids to see kind of what they went through to put something together for you. Let's watch this. You can do it, Ruben. Hey, Piper, you want to hold the, the mic up to the Except for you. <laughs> Fully immersed in our service tonight. Do whatever you need to do. Crank up that sound system. Turn. Wasn't that something? That's like, yeah, that's worth clapping because <laughs> we somehow got something out of that. I hear Mabel still crying. She's been crying the whole year. No, she hasn't. But <laughs> oh man. Hey, I want to kick off uh, the message here by asking you a question. You don't need to answer out loud, but I just want you to answer this internally. Uh, see if you answer yes to these questions. Uh, during this season, uh, do you find that your energy is a bit diminished during this season? Are you uh, more fatigued than you normally are during this current season we're in? Are you, here's one, are you craving sugar? Well, we know the answer is yes for everybody, but are you maybe craving it more than normal? Are you eating more than you normally do during this season? Is it hard for you in the season we're in to get up in the morning? Are you sleeping longer than normal? Are you less productive? Are you more irritable than you normally are? If you answered yes to these questions, it could just be your personality. But it could also be that you have what doctors call SAD, seasonal affective disorder. This affects one out of five people, and it affects them, and it's this sort of depression that, that overtakes people during the fall and winter months. And, and the, the, this is a result of an alteration that takes place in your brain chemistry because there's less light and there's shorter days. And so to overcome SAD, uh, doctors, medical experts recommend what they call light therapy. Everybody say light therapy. light therapy. 
Good, light therapy. Exposing uh, yourself, your eyes, your body to more light will balance out your brain chemistry. You need more light. We're in this, uh, we've been going through Advent and we've been lighting the candles and, and today we light the fifth candle. Uh, you know, we, we, uh, the elders walked us through the other four candles, which um, are barely going to make it through this last service. Tonight we light the fifth candle, which is the Christ candle. John chapter 3 says this, this is the verdict. Light has come to the world. And we know his name is Jesus. He is the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior, the Son of the living God. He is the light of the world. So what I want us to do is I want us to consider Christmas to be our light therapy. See, the world has chronic sad, not seasonal affective disorder, but spiritual affective disorder. The Bible talks about this, and it talks about how we need the light of God to penetrate into our lives, to penetrate the darkness that's in our lives. In fact, the Bible uses the, the metaphors of darkness and life all throughout Scripture. And in Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. And Jesus said it this way. He said, If you will follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. As John Newton famously said in his hymn, No Amazing Grace, he said, I once was blind, but now I, now I see. So the gospel writer of uh, Matthew, he talks about this darkness and this light. And, and he talks about coming out of darkness and into light, moving from darkness to light. And what I'm going to do uh, for the next few minutes together is we're going to fast forward past the traditional Christmas story. Again, we're thinking about Christ as the, uh, as the, the, the Christ candle. He is the light of the world. And I want to jump forward to the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And where Matthew points out to us, and he uses the metaphors of darkness and light. And we're going to pick it up in Matthew chapter 4, and it says this, of Jesus. Jesus leaves Nazareth, where he was from, and he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. Now those names are two ancient names of two of the twelve tribes of Israel. And it says that he went to Capernaum. Capernaum is on the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's a place I've been many times, and a few of you who've been with me on the trip, you've been there as well. You can picture it. And, and it goes on to say this, Matthew says, Jesus went there. Why did he go to Capernaum, to this, to this area? And it says, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now, what did the prophet Isaiah say? Matthew quotes him, and here's what he said. Uh, the prophet said, he said, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then he goes on and says this, The people living in darkness have seen a great light. Say the word light. They've seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned, or a light has shined. Now, Matthew is quoting Isaiah chapter 9. And Isaiah, the prophet, lived during a very dark period of time in the history of Israel. 
But Isaiah is looking ahead and looking forward and prophesying that another dark time is going to come for the people of Israel. In fact, it's going to be the darkest time ever in the history of Israel. And he says, and and Isaiah says, and Matthew's quoting Isaiah, that into that darkness, that dark purity of time, will come the light, the Messiah, the Savior, that the light would come. And where would he first show up? Where would the light first show up? Matthew, quoting Isaiah, says he'll first show up in Galilee, of all places. Now, why in the world would the light, would Jesus, the Messiah, why would he show up and kick off his ministry in Galilee first? Why not down in the south, in the Judea region where Jerusalem is, where the capital is? That makes more sense, doesn't it, that he would go to Jerusalem? But no, Jesus kicks off his ministry in the north in Galilee. Why choose that? Well, of course it was prophesied, so uh, he's following prophecy, but I suspect there's a few reasons for that. For example, Galilee was heavily populated. The the historian uh, Josephus says that there are about 3 million people living in this region in about 200 cities. 3 million people is a lot of people today in in a small little region. But back then, that is a huge amount of people. So it makes sense that Jesus would go and start his ministry where there's a lot of people. Jesus also came to Galilee because it was less sophisticated culturally than down in Judea. Down in Judea, um, it was much more sophisticated, but up in Galilee, these were just like normal, down-to-earth, salt-of-the-earth, blue-collar type people. Mark chapter 12 says this. It says they were common people who heard Jesus' word gladly. They were just ordinary, normal people like you and I. The sophisticated of Jerusalem, the cultural elites, They, in fact, looked down on these normal, ordinary people who lived up in Galilee. And we know from the life of Jesus, we know he was always rooting for the underdog, wasn't he? Jesus was rooting for the underdog. He was rooting for the down and out, the downtrodden, the sick, the poor, the outcast, the sinful. And Galilee was full of those type of people. Jesus also went to Galilee and not Jerusalem first to kick off his ministry and spend most of his time in ministry for a third reason. It's because it was a global hub. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, it had the most famous uh, 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 highway passed through that region. It was the five freeway. No, not really. Uh, it was the, it was called the Via Maris, which is called the Way of the Sea. And this this freeway, essentially, this road that was traveled in the ancient world that went along the coast, it broke off and went east and went west, really, but went east and passed through the Galilee and specifically passed through the city of Capernaum. Now, the city of Capernaum is where Peter was from. The city of Capernaum is where Matthew collected taxes. And so this city connected the east and the west. It connected the north and the south. This was an important place to be. In fact, one writer said it this way, Judea is on the way to nowhere, meaning where Jerusalem is, whereas Galilee is on the way to everywhere. 
So, Galilee has this enormous population for that period of time. Uh, the people who live there are, are, are normal, ordinary, common, down-to-earth people. And it's a global hub for travelers to pass through from one part of the world to another part of the world. Which, by the way, it means that news would spread quickly that was passed through that region. It would go to the whole entire world. Matthew went on and, and described this region this way. He described it as, in verse 15, the Galilee of the Gentiles. Other translations simply say it this way. It's where so many Gentiles lived. Why was a Jewish region so full of Gentiles, meaning people who are not Jews, non-Jews? Well, historically speaking, we know that 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel continued to disobey the laws and commands of God. We know they continue to get wrapped up in idolatry and not worshiping God, but worshiping created things rather than the creator. And God kept saying, I am going to send my judgment upon you if you do not repent, if you do not get right with me, if you not turn your hearts back to me and obey my commands and follow me. And God kept giving them warning and giving them warning, but they failed to heed the warning. And so finally God in 722 B.C., God sent the Assyrians in and conquered the region. And 10 of the 12 tribes, the northern tribes of Israel, were destroyed forever, essentially. And so when Isaiah prophesied and said of this area, the people that are walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light is dawn, a light is shine. He was saying, that the sunrise of God's salvation in Christ Jesus, it would be first seen in this area, this region, the region that the Assyrians conquered first. The first area of Israel to fall would be the very first area of Israel to, to rise. The first area of Israel to see the judgment of God would be the first area to see his salvation. The first area that was lost in darkness is the first area that would see the glory of the Lord. The Messiah came not to Jerusalem first, but he went to where the Gentiles lived. He went to where the people were, which there's a message behind this. And that's simply God's letting us know, even in the Gospels, that Jesus was intended, he came to save all people, that his message of salvation is for all. Now, Matthew says something very interesting. He says this, he says the people were living, or some translations say sitting, in darkness. These people in Galilee, in this region, during this time, in fact, throughout the whole world, really is Matthew's commentating, saying the people are living and they're sitting in darkness. What is he talking about? He's painting a picture of this period of time in history when it was hopeless for people. And it's into this period of time where people were completely hopeless that the Messiah enters. When the world was at its darkest, the light shines. Now, it was a dark time in history. It was dark politically. You had the Roman Emperor Caesar Augustus who ruled with an iron fist. You lived at, during that period of time at the pleasure of Rome. Your life was in their hands. 
Roman soldiers were everywhere. They were watching your every move. The political tensions were high. It was a dark time politically, but it was also a dark time uh, in terms of uh, economics and economies. There was economic darkness. Romans ta- Roman taxation, it was unbearable on the people. In fact, the whole Christmas story, remember Joseph and Mary, they go to Bethlehem. Why do they go to Bethlehem? They go there because there was a census, because they had to be, you know, register. Why? So that they could be taxed. You were taxed back then on pretty much everything. If you were between the ages of 12 and 65, you actually had to pay what was called a poll tax. A poll tax was simply a tax for you to live and breathe Roman air. Not only that, you had a 10% flat tax of your income. You had a road tax and a harbor tax and an import tax and a ground tax. And if you live near the ocean or near the Sea of Galilee, you paid a fish tax, whether you fished or not, or whether you ate fish or not. It was dark economically. It was also a dark time morally. The ancient world was morally bankrupt, morally corrupt, and it was, just a t- it was just flat out unfair time to live. It was tough to be a, a child or to be a woman. Demosthenes wrote this, the Greek wrote this, and, and, and speaking of the culture at that time, of the Greeks and the Roman culture, he said this. He said, we men, we have courtesans for the sake of pleasure. We have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation. And we have wives for the purpose of having legitimate children and to have faithful guardians for all our household affairs. I mean, I suppose that was good for men, but it was awful for women. Women and children were considered property. Infanticide was rampant. Sexual perversions of all kind beyond our imagination was commonplace. Slavery, idolatry, it was a morally dark period of time. But perhaps the most profound darkness for the Jewish people at least was the spiritual darkness. I mean, it had been 400 years since God spoke. These were considered the silent years. There was no thus saith the Lord. No prophet had risen up to speak for the Lord, to rally the people together. There was nothing. It was spiritually dark. They were waiting to hear from God. And it was into that spiritual darkness. It was into that silence. It was into that hopeless period of time. Step Jesus, the light of the world. Now, some of you might be thinking, you know, I hear about how dark that the world was back then. Man, it doesn't sound a whole lot different than today. I mean, it's still dark politically and economically, and there's still moral darkness and spiritual darkness in our world. Did Jesus showing up on the scene and arriving, did that really make that much of a difference? It seems like we're still in the dark a little bit. Where's the light? Now, I get it if that's how you're, what you're thinking. I, I really do. I understand that. In fact, I know that after Christmas... For most people, here we are, we're celebrating, you know, hope and faith and peace and joy, and Jesus is the light of the world. But most people, as soon as Christmas is over, they will go back to business as usual. They'll forget about all the songs of hope and goodwill. They'll go back 
to the darkness. It's sort of like what happened back in 1864 at the height of, our, of the Civil War. It was a cold, wet winter night, and word came to General George Pickett that his wife had just delivered their very first baby. It was a baby boy. When Robert E. Lee, General Pickett was from the South, and when General Robert E. Lee was from the South, uh, heard about this, he said, we need to celebrate, let's celebrate. So Lee commanded all the Southern troops to light bonfires. So the, the night sky was lit up with light. When Ulysses S. Grant saw the light and, and inquired as to what happened, he found out that a friend of his, General Pickett, who he went to, to West Point with, they were fighting on opposite sides now, but they were friends. When Grant heard that General Pickett had a baby boy, he said, we should celebrate for at least one night as well. So their troops also lit bonfires to light up the night sky. It's sort of like the story I told you last week about World War I. Here we have, for one night, in the bloodiest time in our history, not a single shot was fired. Not a single uh, bayonet was thrust through the chest of another. Light was emanating out of the darkness that night. Why? Because of the birth of a child. Well, the next day, back to business as usual, they resumed the shooting. It's a sad reality of humanity. But why? Why is that the case? If light has come, if Jesus is the light of the world, if light is here, then why is there still the darkness? John chapter 3 that, that I started with this evening, it explains why. It goes on to tell us why. It says this, light has come into the world, but the people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Now that's a commentary on humanity right there. John says that the people prefer darkness People prefer doing that which isn't in line with the heart of God. And so because we don't prefer to do what's in line with the heart of God, because we don't want to follow God and his commands, it's the very reason Jesus had to come. Because left to ourselves, we choose darkness. We choose wrong paths. We make bad choices. Now, of course, not all the time, but our nature, Scripture says, is bent towards evil. Scripture says there isn't anybody who's righteous, not one. And it's for this very reason that Jesus came. See, the, the whole point of this text, the whole point of Christmas is that light has come and it has pierced the darkness. Light has come and it has pierced our darkness. No matter how dark it is for you, there's light. And the Apostle John says it this way. There's a light that shines in the darkness. There's a light that shines into your darkness and my darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. Listen, no matter how bad it is for you, no matter how dark it is for you, no matter how dark something may be or seem to be for you, God tells us the light of Jesus comes penetrates that darkness and shines his light into our darkness so that we can be victorious in our lives. So how do we get there? 
How do we experience this victory? How does the light overtake the darkness? Well, Matthew goes on, he finishes this section and explains it. And he says it this way in verse 17, Matthew chapter 4, he said, so Jesus goes to, to Capernaum and then from that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. How do you and I experience victory over our darkness? Jesus said, repent. Repentance is the prerequisite to enlightenment in our lives. When you and I decide, you know what, I'm going to turn around. See, that's what the word repent means. That's all it means. It means to turn around. It means to change directions. It means to go a different direction. It means to go towards the light. When we make that decision, when you make the decision, when I make the decision to choose to to walk towards the light of Jesus, that's when our life changes. When we choose to do that, that is light therapy. Say light therapy. That's the light therapy when we turn towards Jesus. And when we turn towards him, that's when we get to live in and experience life the way God intended for us. Yes, John makes it clear, people love darkness. But the message of Christmas is that Jesus has come, the light of the world has come, and his light, which is another way to say it, it's his love. His light or his love penetrates the darkness that we gravitate towards. Scripture says it's the kindness of God, it's the love of God that leads us to repent, that leads us to want to turn and turn towards Jesus. So Jesus is calling you. He's calling every single one of us. He has such a better life in store for all of us than we could have outside of a relationship with him. Jesus described it very specifically. He said, I have come to give you life and it's life to the fullest. It's an abundant life. It's an overflowing life. Well, some translations say it this way. He has come to give us real and better life than we could ever imagine. And that's what he has for us. John chapter 8, Jesus said, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in the darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. I just got to ask you, aren't you tired? Not because you have sad, but aren't you tired of just stumbling around whatever darkness that's still a part of your life? Aren't you tired of being caught up in a darkness that is destroying you. Jesus says, I have plenty of, that verse says, I have plenty of my light for you to live on. It's filled with hope and joy and peace. It's transformational. It's the life that those who will choose to walk in the life and the light of Jesus and walk in his love, it's that life that God has used to literally change the world these last 2,000 years. That he's used people like you and me to bring light to the darkness. Author Robert Louis Stevenson was born in Edinburgh, Scotland. And as a little boy, he used to love to watch the lamplighters go to work every night. They, they didn't have electricity back then. And so the lamplighters would take their torches and they would walk down the streets and, and they would light the, uh, the lamps uh, with their torches uh, that, wa- that, that led down the streets for, for all the city streets. And Stevenson just loved to watch that city go from darkness 
to light. He was enamored by it. Well, one evening he was out with his dad and he's watching it as usual. And little Stevenson turned to his dad and he said, look, dad, they're punching holes in the darkness. And I think about that picture. And I have a hunch that's exactly what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life right now, tonight. He wants to punch holes in the dark areas of your life. Because I suspect we all have areas in our life where we prefer some of the darker things. We have areas of our life that aren't filled with the light of Jesus. And Jesus wants to punch holes in that. He wants to bring you out of that darkness and bring you into the light of his love and bring you into his glorious light and bring you into the life that he has for you. So what is it for you? Where have you been stumbling around in the darkness? Maybe you've been holding on to a burden. That's just a dark part of your life. Maybe for some of you, there's this uh, grudge that you've just attached your life to, and it's a dark area of your life. Maybe for some of you, uh, the dark area of your life is you have a relational challenge or a relational situation. Some of you might have a physical challenge. There might be others of you who, the dark area of your life, it's wrapped up in finances, and the finances are just destroying you, and it's a dark place in your life. For some of you, it might be an emotional challenge or a relational challenge, a physical challenge, or a spiritual challenge. Some of you, the dark area of your life is that loneliness. And the Christmas season is brutal for you. And God wants to come in. And he wants to punch a hole in that darkness in your life. So here's what I know. God wants to transform you. God wants to change your life. He wants to punch holes in the darkness in your life if you're simply willing to step into his life and step into his light and step into his love. The question is, are you ready? Are you ready or not? Are you ready to step into his light? Because here's what I know. He is faithful to deliver you. I know that he is mighty to save us. And I know that the the God of the Bible is still good on his promises. The promises he gives, he's still good on those. And his love, it never fails. And how do we know? We know he already won the battle. It's been won on the cross. And there on the cross, he paved a way for you and I to have a relationship with the Father. And so Jesus stands waiting. He's ready when you are. Are you ready? Are you ready to come? Some of you, man, you've been following Jesus for decades, but there's still some darkness in your life. And Jesus is calling you and he's saying, are you ready? Will you let me punch a hole in that dark area of your life? He's ready when you are. If you'd be willing tonight to let his light in, in that area of your life, to punch a hole in the darkness of that area. He wants to do that tonight, and we're going to pray about that in a minute. I imagine there's a, some of us who we need to experience Jesus as the light, as our light for the very first time in our life. 
that you've never placed your faith and hope and trust in Jesus Christ. He wants to come into your life to be your Lord, to be your Savior, to give you His light, to transform your life. And if you would be willing to place your hope and place your faith and place your trust in Him, He'll save you from your darkness. He'll pull you out of that darkness. He'll save you from your sins. He will give you His light and He will give you the gift of eternal life. You see, the best gift is not under the tree. The best gift hung on a tree for you. So tonight I want to ask you, do you think you're a good person? think you're a religious person, a smart person, a well-educated person, a cultured person, a sophisticated person, an elite person? Are you any of those, all of those, or none of those? Because whoever you are, God's speaking to you. And if you're sensing his voice right now, he's calling out to you, would you be willing to say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready to accept your gift to receive your light, the light of life. If you're ready to do that, he invites you to come. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to bring light into our darkness, to be the light of the world, to save us from our sins and to give us life to the fullest a victorious life. So Jesus, we call out to you now in faith. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to receive the gift of salvation, I want to invite you to pray with me right now to join the family of God. So if that's you, would you open your heart to him now and pray something like this? So just say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I admit that. So Jesus, I'm asking you that you would forgive me. And right now, I'm placing all my faith and all my trust in you to forgive me of my sins, to give me life. I believe you died on a cross in my place for me, that you rose from the dead, and that you sit at the right hand of the Father. So I turn to you now as my Lord and as my Savior. Give me the strength to live a life following you. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Father God, hear each and every one of these prayers. Help us to walk in your light as we then share that light and that love with all we come in contact with. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, we pray the light of the world. Amen.